We go inward in order to go outward. We have been systematically trained all our lives to sever ourselves from our own wisdom, from our bodies, and from our intuition and discernment. I'm Karen Hibner. I'm a spiritual director and podcast producer. I help women and folks of other oppressed identities heal from internalized oppression and trauma and go public with their wild and wonderful contribution to this world so that we can all heal together. Through spiritual direction, we can realign with our intuition or inner knowing and tap into the self-trust necessary to move confidently through this life. This is how we heal. After we realign with ourselves and the wisdom that is inherently in us, we go public so other folks can experience healing too. In this space, we'll explore all the different topics that come up in moving toward your most authentic self as well as deconstruction and rebuilding beliefs and how we grow in self-trust, self-confidence, and realign with our own inner wisdom so that we can go public and bring that wisdom to the world. Welcome to this wild and wonderful journey with me. I'm thrilled for you to heal and go public. Hey, it's Karen. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm thrilled to have you. If you've been here for a while, or if you're just tuning in, I'd love it if you'd rate and review the show. By rating and reviewing, you help this podcast land higher in recommendations and searches so folks that need it can find it. If you've enjoyed anything about this space that I'm creating, please rate and review. If you're not going to review kindly, you can just move on with your day and not rate or review. Great. I have a fire guest with us today. I'm sure many of you have heard episodes with my husband, Jesse, or you've heard me mention him before. He's a mental health counselor in in the Denver area and introduced me to a counseling and coaching practice called Unraveling Free. Kendra Hill and Casey Bain created Unraveling Free and are licensed professional counselors helping folks through deconstruction, church hurt, and spiritual trauma. If you follow me on Instagram, you've seen me share some of their content. Y'all, they are doing good healing work. Kendra and Casey are in so many similar conversations to the space that I hold for folks through spiritual direction, and I knew we just had to have a collaborative conversation. So I have Kendra Hill from Unraveling Free with me here today. Let me cue her up. Kendra's interest in mental health can be traced back to when she would rent psychology textbooks from her local library for fun. She even took a college psychology course in the evenings during high school just so she could learn more about human behavior. From there, Kendra pursued and completed a Bachelor of Science in Human Development and Family Studies from Kent State University and went on to complete her Master's of Arts in Clinical Mental Health Counseling from Denver Seminary. Kendra is now a licensed professional counselor in Colorado and also sees clients across the nation as a mental health coach specifically working with those who are healing from adverse religious experiences and religious trauma. Her passion stems from the soil of her own wounds, and it is her absolute honor to hold space for others going through the painful process of faith deconstruction and healing from religious trauma. Kendra, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Karen, thank you so much for having me and for being such a huge support of Unraveling Free. We feel it. Oh my gosh, I'm such a big fan. I'm such a big fan. So thank you for being here and doing this with me. Um, I'm thrilled to have you. So Kendra, will you just introduce us? I know I read your bio and all of that, but will will you just introduce us to you and the work that you do with Unraveling Free? 
Sure. Yeah. I always tell clients it's one thing to read about somebody on paper and another to hear (laughs) about them from them. So thanks for asking me that. So I joined with Casey in Unraveling Free in October. So it's fairly new for me. She started it almost two years ago now. We actually both used to work together at a Christian group practice. That's how we met. And, you know, in the deconstructing process, you kind of have these feelers out for who's safe. Do you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yeah. And so Casey and me and my husband, uh, he's also a therapist and he worked at the same practice. So (laughs) lots of therapy all around. But Casey and and us kind of gravitated together and felt like we could relate on a lot of things. So when Casey left the group practice, I knew that I felt misaligned at the practice myself, but wasn't really sure what was ahead. So I stayed for probably another year before I really started to feel like this isn't kind to, to me to stay here. It's you know, I just thought maybe I could expand a lot more if I left. So I met with Casey, not intending to partner with her, just to kind of talk to her about private practice and, you know, wanted to focus on deconstruction and religious trauma. And so Casey just asked if I would want to partner with her, which was amazing that she put so much trust in me to do that. And so here we are. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much for that. And so I have all of these thoughts running through my mind as far as just our different approaches to the space. Also, finding therapists that specialize in religious trauma is super interesting to me because this has been, I mean, in my program, like being a spiritual director, we were cognizant of religious trauma and spiritual abuse, especially spiritual abuse and starting to see some court cases around spiritual abuse and like that sort of thing. And I was never keen on, I just didn't know if similar dialogues were coming up in the therapy space. And so just to Mm -hmm. say and admire that I love, I mean, of course, therapists specializing in working with trauma. Of course, like there's a space like that makes so much sense to find yourself in a space of working with religious trauma. Can you tell me a little bit about how you found kind of this, for lack of a better term, niche? Like how have you found yourself working, especially with folks in deconstruction and religious trauma? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. So I was part of a campus ministry in, in college. That was really kind of where the meat of my indoctrination came from, I guess I would say. I did grow up going to church, but I I wouldn't say I was totally immersed in the evangelical Christian world, you know, all through my life. But I did have a very compacted experience of a lot of things in that campus ministry. And so I kind of carried that with me, moved to Denver, started going to a local church, and then I started Denver Seminary which is really funny because it was seminary that really started to really open up these big questions for me, especially as I was studying mental health. I just started kind of, (laughs) I I guess my eyes were opening to some of the toxic patterns I was seeing at the church that I was part of. Just uh, being motivated by shame. Um, A lot of the sermons started to feel like, like very shaming. There were just odd power dynamics. I mean, I could go on and on, but I just started to kind of open my eyes to some of these things and feel like, oh, this doesn't 
doesn't seem right. This doesn't feel good. And I and I had carried, again, like kind of concerns and questions from that campus ministry I was in. So all of that, you know, kind of a slow process of uh, really unraveling, <laughs> true to our name, I mean, really unraveling. And then when I was at this Christian group practice, I was seeing a lot of clients who were really struggling to connect with their bodies, who you know, many of them had experienced some type of religious trauma, although they probably wouldn't have called it that. And, you know, I was continuing to go through my own deconstruction process, just questioning lots of things about what I just absorbed from that campus ministry, really. And so Casey and I really, with Unraveling Free, we created the space that we wish we would have had. And I think that's so important to create space like that. Because again, you know, we were talking beforehand, you kind of have to feel out who's safe when you're asking these kinds of questions. And so to know that spaces exist where you just can, you can just be, you can just ask these questions. I mean, that was super important to us and we wish we would have had it. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Yes. Thank you. I... I have two different questions for you and I know this is like the worst thing to do. So I'm going to I'm going to filter myself and I'm just going to ask you one. I mean, how did y'all find yourself? I mean, that's your personal story, but like how I it says on your website and I know this to be true. And knowing my husband that's a therapist also. This is always a dialogue and always a conversation. Also, I will disclose that my husband got his master's degree from a religious institution, also a religious school. And so it's mm-hmm. always a conversation, but that is KCREP accredited, right? So it's always this conversation mm-hmm. of like how much spirituality can come in, letting the like client bring it up first, like all of that, right? But just to say that like spirituality and religion have been in kind of an interesting relationship with therapy, at least for most therapists, I would say. These are like really big globalizations, right? But we're gonna go with it. But y'all even say on your website like that those conversations aren't often like either allowed, like you said, like allowed, comfortable, or safe in that space. Um, but also that mm-hmm. a lot of therapists aren't equipped to have the spiritual dialogues also. So can you tell me about what that looks like for y'all? Mm. Wow. It's a good question, and it's one that I have to pause and really and really think about because you're right, not a lot of therapists. I have a couple of different thoughts about this. One is that religious trauma is trauma. And so I do think because there aren't a ton of therapists at this point in time that have this as a specialty, there are therapists who can still do this work as long as they are super trauma informed. That's the first point is religious trauma is trauma. However, I, you know, it can be hard if somebody really has this deep experience of religious trauma, you know, let's say specific to Christian fundamentalism or leaving Mormonism. Those are just two examples. But if a therapist really doesn't understand the ins and outs of that, it can be really challenging to meet that person with the kind of empathy that they deserve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. And that's something, I mean, even an example that comes up in my mind is like um, something that I work with a lot of folks on, and I know that y'all have mentioned this in some of your content also, is the like inherently bad piece that Mm -hmm. comes in religious trauma, right? That folks can't like 
so many people from outside of that world would want to shake us and be like, you are not bad. Like you are good. Mm -hmm. Like how did this get in your mind? Right. And like for someone to be able to understand where it comes from, to be able to put it inside of a container like religious trauma and to therefore be able to see the impacts of that and how it impacts like daily choices, daily actions, like all of that just feels so, so, so Mm -hmm. important. But we have used this religious trauma term a lot. I use it in this space. I've probably (laughs) defined it before, but I would love to hear your definition and what what you're looking at specifically. Yeah. So this definition I got from the Religious Trauma Institute. And so they define religious trauma as the physical, emotional, or psychological response to religious beliefs, practices, or structures – that is experienced by an individual as overwhelming or disruptive and has lasting adverse effects on a person's physical, mental, social, emotional, or spiritual well-being. So loaded mm-hmm. definition, but really, really important. Because like I said before, a lot of people wouldn't call what they've gone through trauma. I think there's been – this is changing – which I'm so grateful for. But there's been a lot of misunderstanding in our society about what trauma is. People think of like a car accident or um, sexual assault or child abuse, right? Those things are pretty easily considered trauma in people's minds. But religious trauma can be much more complex which means it can happen over a long period of time. It's not just one incident, although it can be, but it's lots of different things that combine and layer on top of each other and have an impact on our nervous systems where we get overwhelmed and we don't know how to cope with it. Mm, yes, absolutely. I And I love, I love in that definition too how like it is really complex and at the same time it keeps everything really broad, like in a mm. way which I really appreciate because it, it can manifest so differently for different folks. So much is dependent on the community that someone was in or mm-hmm. like certain beliefs of even a certain doctrine that were like really pressed or incidences within a community. You know, like there's just so many different opportunities. And I love that you actually define like trauma for us in that as well. And like you said, I do think that there is the shifting acknowledgement around what trauma is. Um I'm actually in a course called Trauma-Informed Spiritual Care right now. So trying to make my practice more trauma-informed and being equipped mm-hmm. with things to also make that. my my practice trauma-integrated too, if I desire to move that way. And my favorite, just to also disclaim, my favorite is to work with folks that have a therapist also so that they have a space where they're able to really have like somebody on the psychological and mental health side taking care of them. And then we're able to really dive into the spiritual side. But even within this course, recognizing the other day, something came up around some deconstruction ideas and like what we, how we can look at them and look through them. And something that I shared with the group was also that warming folks to this terminology of religious trauma and spiritual abuse mm. is like half of my job, right? Like 
getting folks wow. comfortable with yeah. the idea that what they experienced and not pressing it on them and not telling them that that's what they experienced, but using these terms freely and trying to define them as much as possible so that people that have experienced this can find a place of being known and being able to express what they have experienced within these terms is such a massive mm -hmm. part of what I do. And I imagine that's probably similar for you, at least in what in that very last part of what you said also is that like religious trauma can sound like a really scary word to folks when they start meeting with me. And because mm -hmm. of the nature of some of that religious trauma, folks can be conditioned out of using a term a term like that for themselves, right? <laughs> yes. Exactly. I know that's some of the complexity of it, isn't it? Oh, it's so wild. Yeah, yeah. It, that you're so spot on with that, Karen. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to to recognize too that trauma is not what happened. Trauma is your response to what happened, your body's response mm -hmm. to what happened. And so mm -hmm. I think it's just so important for people to know that. So Perfect. somebody may, I don't know, have been kind of pushed out of their small group. That's a pretty, you know, common thing that happens. And, you know, one person may embed that experience in their bodies as being traumatic for them. Another person may have that experience and it's not embedded as traumatic. So we can never speak to what's traumatic for somebody, only they can. Yes. And so I think that's really helpful in getting people to name their experiences is, you know, helping them actually own their experience and not compare it to somebody else's. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely, which is so, I, and I appreciate that clarification too, which is such a hard thing when it's based in community because some yes. communities will not hear a different experience than mm -hmm. what is like the assumed experience or like the majority experience, right? So in religious yeah. spaces, it's often shut down if it's a diff if it's different or if it's calling out something that other people aren't calling out, right? Like mm -hmm. so that's interesting. Also what it brings to mind is that you're using an example of like religious trauma, but it's also like that's true of trauma I mean, and I know that you're saying this, but that's true of mm -hmm. trauma generally. I mean, I think of my I have a sibling where where I'm one of two. And she remembers things entirely differently than I do. Things yeah. that impacted her didn't impact example. me. Like, and that's going to be true mm -hmm. of a community as well, right? Like we're all mm -hmm. going to be impacted differently from different experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. Can I jump on yes. onto that? Part of what embeds trauma into your system is how people respond after. And so people tend to remember more how people respond to them after. So if somebody, this is again, like the complexity and the layered experience of religious trauma is that somebody may be experiencing trauma, they may share it or try to share it within the context of their community. And then are dismissed, are told that they need to, you know, just have more faith. I mean, whatever people are met with besides just deep connection and somebody saying, I believe you, I'm here with you. What do you need? 
So trauma is more likely to get embedded if we don't have those experiences and have people who don't believe us. Which makes sense because then that person, that space becomes unsafe. There's like a further unsafety and there's a further disruption (laughs) of agency and authority, (sighs) right? Absolutely makes sense. So this Mm -hmm. is, my mind goes here. This is something I already wanted to ask you, but this seems like a little bit relative. I know that things other than just religious trauma probably come up in your space, right? So y'all are counselors, also coaches, and maybe you can like, if you want to make some distinctions around what those spaces look like, that's awesome. But just wondering as far as what it looks like, I mean, religious experiencing religious trauma, like is not, as far as I know, or spiritual abuse is not in a DSM or anything like that, right? So you're probably working with like, some Mm -hmm. diagnoses like meeting religious trauma and like i mean can you paint me a little bit of a picture of that because as a spiritual director i like just get to work with and of course people will bring their diagnoses into the space as part of the conversation but i am not like a part Mm -hmm. of anybody's Mm -hmm. there we go i am not a part of like anybody's treatment plan or like you know like meeting goals as far as around ADHD, depression, anxiety, any of those things. As a therapist, how do how do those things kind of like integrate? What does your practice look like in that way? I love that question. There, yeah, there's so much. I don't know. There's a clinical word for it, but it's slipping my mind right now. Uh, comorbidity, which sounds so clinical, <laughs> but it's true. It does. <laughs> Jesse has said that word to me before and I'm like, one, I don't know what that means and it sounds so intense. I've learned what it means, but you can tell us. <laughs> Doesn't it sound intense? It's really just, you know, the combination of multiple diagnoses. Here's here's my thing with diagnoses. I think that sometimes they're super important. It's this whole idea of naming something, right? So naming that you have religious trauma can be really important and give you a framework for your experience, understanding yourself better. There are other diagnoses that I think that is is hugely important for OCD, ADHD, I mean lots of things. But diagnoses are kind of like a collection of symptoms, right? It's like the expression of whatever is happening internally. I really like to kind of keep the mentality that there's nothing wrong with you. So yes, there are presenting issues, (laughs) presenting problems, But I really try, even if I'm diagnosing something, I really try to keep it at this doesn't, this is the way that you have adapted throughout your life. There is nothing wrong with you. This is actually how you are made, right? This is how your body and mind work. You have adapted in ways that have gotten you to this point. Mm -hmm. And those adaptations are no longer working. And now it's a collection of symptoms. And so we get to readjust. We get to heal. We get to readapt. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. And that's actually the question that I wrote down was like, yeah, just like around diagnoses and using like labels in the space and how much labels have like how much power labels have in that space for you. And so you absolutely 100% answered exactly what I was asking, even though I didn't ask it. So I appreciate it. And I did some mind reading, eh? Yes, you did. (laughs) And it popped off another question for me. Mm -hmm. 
so like even in, I love that, even in um, my course that I mentioned before that I'm taking, like the other week we were talking about attachment styles and we talk about this stuff just to inform the director to be able to more than anything for our own supervision tools so that we know that how we're showing up in the space and we can leave the space, yeah. right? So yes. we can ask and we use mm -hmm. IFS in that way, also internal family systems of like, what part of me is speaking right now? And like, mm -hmm. is that the part that I want in the space, right? Like. Right. And more than anything, just in a tra in a trauma informed way, like even the way that I said that is a little bit judgmental, but just to wonder at it all, right? So we were talking about attachment mm -hmm. styles, and I I love that the presenter, which this is a mentor of mine, Shannon Michael Pater, but they were talking about the attachment styles as they didn't say like your attachment style or the attachment style that you have or anything like that. They said your adapted attachment style. And they were very mindful of like, it's mm -hmm. always how we've adapted and how we've like been conditioned mm -hmm. and learned to adapt to all of that conditioning and all of those environments that we've been in to present. Right. Yes. And I just love that, that there's, yes. that's such a big thing in my space also is that there's nothing ever wrong with anybody that's coming to me. And mm -hmm. like, even if they are, if there's a point where I have to refer out to therapy or we are bringing in a conversation around like what their dialogue with their therapist looks like or anything like that, that diagnoses are not labels for a failure, for something being wrong with someone, mm -hmm. right? And trying to keep that in mind too, to go back to like our conversation, because I'm not a therapist, but even with the religious trauma, like warming up to the language of religious trauma. Yeah. When you were saying, oh yeah. So it's important to understand your own attachment adaptations so that you are aware of what's coming into the space when you meet with other people. I've been thinking a lot lately about how I think about pastors and how pastors have this platform where they have the power to pump their own egos into lots of other people, right? It's like kind of crazy the amount of power that's there. But as therapists, we have we have a lot of power too. And so, and spiritual directors, right? Like we are in positions of authority and I think it's our responsibility to know that and to be responsible with that and to, to diminish that as much as we can. Like I always say, we're collaborating. I'm an expert yeah. in mental health and you're the expert on you always. I am never the expert on you. I have a lot of respect for what's happening in somebody that I would have no idea about. But I think that's so important what you talk about just for, for us as therapists to recognize what we're bringing into this space or as yes. spiritual directors or people who are holding this kind of space for people. There's a lot of potential for us to just pump our own egos into people or, you know, for me to be another space where I feel like I need to have all the answers. That's not what people yes. need, yes. <laughs> especially here, right? That is not yes. what people need. Yes. So I have to remind myself of that and keep doing my own work too and make sure that that space is really honoring mm -hmm. of somebody. Yes, absolutely. And that's like, like an example, even I'll go into a personal example of like, mm -hmm. I have to be mindful when my part that wants to have, like you said, how wants to have all the answers and wants to be the one that like is giving the information is showing up. And that's, I've, I have 
cross the line on where I want to be on that in sessions, you know, before. And recently, especially being in a course that I'm excited about doing some continuing education and like gaining some more tools. And anytime that she shows up, we're like, oh, 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 we know what's happening here, right? Like because of places that I have been, because of environments that I have been in as a woman, I like looking like I have all of the tools and can explain myself really well on these powerful tools, right? And that serves me. That doesn't serve the person that I'm with, and especially not in spiritual direction. My job in spiritual direction is not to give everybody all of the tools. My job in spiritual direction is to facilitate and hold a space. So that's, I always say like, I am not a guru. I am not even, I won't even call myself a teacher. Like I am not here to implement like my information or like to disseminate my information on a bunch of people. Like I'm just here to hold space for someone. So that's absolutely huge. And I think that's where a lot of harm has happened in church experience and church communities Mm -hmm. is when some of these roles have been taken a little bit uh, too far or have been just power Mm -hmm. has been used in, in, in a way that it shouldn't. And that's even in, and I know I'm mentioning this a ton, but it's just because it's on my mind. But even in this course, mm-hmm. my instructor says, like, even questions are not neutral. And that's something that I'm learning right now. Like, because I am sitting in the power seat of facilitating this conversation, even if I give mm-hmm. somebody an out of you don't have to answer this or like make sure this feels comfortable, there's still a power play in me asking it. And I want to use power play may not be the best word, but like mm-hmm. there is there is a power dynamic and power struggle in me asking a question where somebody feel may feel that they have to answer it, even if it's something that they're not necessarily the most comfortable yeah. answering. So even being mindful of things like yeah. that, because if someone that says they're trauma informed, point. but then they're like mm-hmm. trying to ask the question that's going to like unravel it all. I don't know. That's that may not be trauma like trauma informed or trauma integrating. That is such no, it's such a good valid point. You asked me about kind of the difference between therapy and coaching. And I do want to specify that coaching, I wish there was another word. We have not found another word to use, but I really dislike the term coaching because it implies that we're really directive, really advice giving, really goal oriented. And of course, sometimes therapy can encompass those things, but really our heart is to hold space for people to get curious, to explore. We are not advice givers. (laughs) We want to be mirrors and compassionate witnesses to somebody's process. So I just really think it's important to specify that coaching is, you know, it's a little different than what it sounds like. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And so then in that, what are maybe some, like, what does the space look like with y'all or with you specifically? Like, what are some, maybe even some themes that you see recurring across clients and that sort of thing? Like things that people would come to you to work with or look at? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, a big one is the impact of purity culture. I know this is true for people who identify as male, but you know, I see a lot of people who identify as women who have been just so conditioned to believe that their bodies are bad 
or just be totally disconnected from their bodies, disconnected from any sense of pleasure. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about sexual pleasure, right? It extends to all sorts of pleasure. Once you shut that down, you shut it down for everything, you know, which is really interesting because we're supposed to like take pleasure in God and like be joyful and worship. But if we're shutting huge elements of our emotional experience off, it's not, it's not like we can just turn it on for the, you know, the positive things or the things we think are positive things. When it comes to religious trauma, there there are so many components. Like there's mm-hmm. betrayal a lot of times. So betrayal by friends, by your entire community, people that you thought you could trust, uh, pastors, people who didn't protect you when they should have, all of that, right? So there's this aspect of betrayal. And mm-hmm. there's grief all around there's even grief in losing what you once had, right? And so even if somebody leaves the church, there may be grief in that, that they know they can't go back and maybe they don't even want to go back, but it's still a loss, it's still something to grieve. Loss of community, loss of relationship with family who is still kind of in this more fundamentalist or what feels like an unsafe place for people. Casey specifically works with scrupulosity, mm-hmm. so like religious theme, OCD, mm-hmm. which is very common. It makes sense that, you know, we're kind of conditioned into that in some ways. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of the themes I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for clarifying. And that's, I love that you mentioned scrupulosity. Also, there is another episode with Ali Garza too, that specializes with folks, um, is a therapist and specializes with folks in OCD specifically, and also Mm -hmm. experiences OCD and has a religious background also. So folks can go listen to that one too, to hear a lot more on scrupulosity and OCD. But yes, oh my gosh. And I love that these are so many of the same themes that come up in my space and what I'm working with, Mm -hmm. but also that you and I probably take such a different approach to things because of our backgrounds and our educations. Um, But I think something that you mentioned, something that y'all mentioned on the website that I really, really love, and this could even be considered a theme, is freedom from black and white thinking. So something that's really, really, really important to me in the space that I am, I'm in is the mindset work that helps us get out of some of those conditioned thought patternings, right? And practices, spiritual practices that help us start engaging these new held beliefs that can essentially become functional beliefs. And I know that that's all spiritual direction language, but how how do you work with black and white thinking or how i think my even the more important question to me is what do you see as possible for folks once they start breaking down that dualistic thinking or that black and white thinking that they're given mm. yeah you know black and white thinking is so important for development which is really interesting like we need it at some point in our lives but it becomes limiting So what it does is it it polarizes different parts of you. So if we talk about internal family systems and parts work, it kind of pits different parts against each other. So 
If it's either or, then one has to be right. And there's all this tension in between. Okay, what wins out? (laughs) Um, I am both so angry with the way that Christians have Mm -hmm. supported Donald Trump. And I really miss Mm -hmm. the faith I used to have. Mm -hmm. Right? So there's like this anger and... The and expands that experience Mm -hmm. into also their sadness and grief. If it's either or, then only one of those can exist at a time, which really limits somebody's like full experience of themselves, of the world, of other people. It just is limiting. And so I think when people can get out of that dualistic thinking and start to expand – into into more gray areas. First, it's really scary. It's really scary because it's like, what's in the middle? What's there? I don't know the middle. What is that? But it is so expansive in the middle. It's so freeing. And again, yeah, I think it really opens us to the, the fullness of ourselves. We are not limited to one thing at a time. That's a scarcity mindset, right? It becomes like a an expansive mindset. Hey y'all, it's Karen, and I am so sorry to interject here with a totally different tone while Kendra's giving us a really thoughtful response, but I've been having some issues with my recording service that we use for these virtual interviews, and it totally collapsed on me. We lost connection. It did not work as it was supposed to, and man, we were in the ringer trying to recover what we could from this interview, and rather than redo it because it was so beautifully organic and powerful in its original form. I'm just going to fill in some of these gaps for you here at the end. So I probably gave her something that validated and affirmed her experience and encouraged her, you know me, and then threaded out this beautifully worded question that was, you know, concise and to the point and wasn't three questions in one. In some form, I asked her what the best part of her job is, what the best part of doing this work with people is. I'm in a group and we call it not church and, and I love it. It's been so refreshing, but it's a, it's a bunch of us who get together and we just talk about, you know, this is what we were told prayer had to look like, but what does it look like for you? And we can throw out all of our thoughts and just kind of be with each other. But we were talking about awe, um, just like this experience of awe And I was kind of thinking like, oh, I don't feel much of that lately just because of what I'm going through personally. But I realized, you know, (laughs) and this is genuine. I feel so kind of cheesy saying this, but in every session I have with somebody, I get that sense of awe. And for me, it really is such a sacred space. I just feel that every single time I meet with somebody that – There is so much going on in this wonderful human in front of me. Again, like I said, like I don't know even a fraction of it, right? But I can help them tune in, and they do. And it's just – I don't even really know how to explain it. It's like I tear up every session in the best way because I just respect – the courage that these people have to face 
so many things, not only to face their pain, but to face their joy, to face their freedom, like to face their healing, all of it. So that is the best, the best thing about what I do. I feel like I always say, I can't believe I get to do this. I'm so honored. Okay. And then right here, I say something about how I always end my sessions with telling folks that it's a gift and an honor to hold their stories and to be with them. And I tell Kendra about how I think people are like, oh yeah, like whatever, whatever. Karen says this every time and how I'm like, no, I genuinely mean it. Like I seriously mean it. Like it is an absolute gift and honor to hold someone's story and to get to be with them. This awe that Kendra talks about is just so beautiful and I resonate it with it so much. But here's what Kendra says. You guys, we mean it. We really mean it. (laughs) Then I'm not sure what I say next exactly, but Kendra really loved it and said that it was really well said, but I'm going to spare y'all from actually cutting that in, even though I just didn't spare you by telling you about it. Um, A little bit self-serving, a little bit self-serving. But next I asked Kendra how that if folks want to work with her or Casey Bain through Unraveling Free and the work that they do, if they're looking for a therapist, if they're looking for a coach, if they're looking for someone to work through, work in their religious trauma with them as a support person or a care role that is not spiritual direction, how they can get in contact with them. And this is what Kendra says. We are on Instagram at Unraveling Free. We are also on Facebook for those of you who are still users of Facebook. It's just Unraveling Free. And then if you are interested in doing therapy or one-on-one sessions, coaching sessions, the best way to reach us is through our website. So it's www.unravelingfree.com. And if you go to the Contact Us page, you can send us an email. You can specify if you want to work with me or Casey or either. And then we will set up a 10, 15-minute consultation. And then we'll go from there. So thanks so much to Kendra Hill for being with us today. Thank you for your patience as we work through this recording snafu and all of that. Thank you for your ears. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your energy and being here. If you want support on your journey and you think that that would best be fit through a therapist, please reach out to Kendra Hill and Casey Bain at Unraveling Free for all of your deconstruction and religious trauma and spiritual abuse needs. As always, I am here as well to help you with deconstruction, religious trauma, and spiritual abuse, the deconditioning and the deconstruction that happens in those spaces and as we grow and transform through our lives. You can book a trial session with me anytime. So again, thank you so much to Kendra Hill. Thank you to Unraveling Free. I am thrilled to be connected with them, to know about the work that they're doing and the healing, the liberation, and the transformation that they are helping folks access for themselves. So reach out to them if you'd like support. Also, go ahead and give this podcast a rate and review. We would absolutely love that, and I would be so 
grateful. It really helps other people find the podcast. And as you probably know, being in deconstruction or being removed from communities that you have been in, being in places of asking questions, of deconstructing, of deconditioning can be such an isolating process. So please share this with friends. Send our emails to friends that you think of. All of that. Help us build this community of people that are processing together. Thank you for being here. Be well. I am Karen Hibner. I'm a spiritual director and podcast producer. I help women and folks of other oppressed identities heal from internalized oppression and trauma and go public with their wild and wonderful contribution to this world so that we can all heal together. Ready to work with me? You can join my program, Heal, right now. The program is made up of an online course of all the tools and schema I use in spiritual direction sessions to empower you to access the most liberation for yourself right now. In addition to that, with the program registration, you get access to weekly group direction calls and an online portal to connect with others on the journey. I also include access to a massive resource list and library with all types of bonus content and everything I've ever read or consumed on my journey of healing. I also offer one-on-one spiritual direction packages for one-hour sessions every other week for six months. The support for your spiritual journey that you receive from spiritual direction is unprecedented. It's a space where you can be 100% honest and 100% you while you process through what beliefs you were given, what you actually believe right now, and how to get your functional life more in alignment with current beliefs than past beliefs. Oh, it's so good. If you're feeling like it's time to go public through podcast production, We can't wait to take your podcast to the next level and get you producing content consistently for your audience and therefore changing the world. Use the links in the show notes to jump on my email list right now and get all the free value I can possibly give in emails and schedule your discovery call with me today so we can wonder together at how you're feeling invited to heal or go public. Be well.